everyone it's me Fola Olukumbi. um it's been a while <laughs> long story short i won't go into the massive details but um this episode was so hard to do a podcast on we ended up doing two one was an hour and a half long the other was two hours long uh, and then i was um, editing the two together and one of the files corrupted so it hasn't been fun because of this You'll listen to this episode, most of it will hopefully will be seamless and you won't notice anything. But at the end of the episode, you'll find that Helen's disappeared and it's just me talking by myself. And uh, that's where I decided to just go over the points that we'd actually talked about together. Um, but obviously, you won't be able to hear her talking about it. So it's just me at the end of the episode. That is kind of deliberate. It would I would rather it wasn't that way, but it is. My God, it's been it's been hard getting this episode together i really hope you enjoy it i hope it's um hope it illuminates some stuff for you just one more thing before i go um we've been a bit inconsistent with the shows uh recently and that's kind of on me i've messed up the timings of how we record them and stuff so for the rest of this season um we'll probably still be a bit inconsistent with the episodes we'll try to keep it down to like two weeks but i don't know if they'll come out at a specific time uh just for the rest of the just for the rest of the season but after a long break um we'll be back on track and it'll be every week hopefully so don't worry too much we're not going anywhere if we unless we say otherwise we're definitely still going to be making the show so there's always something to look forward to so without further ado here is david cabanara <laughs> Hey everyone, and welcome to the Old Fashioned Breakdown, uh, a rewatch podcast for the articulate show Mad Men. My name is Fola Olakumbi, and I've seen this show and presented this particular podcast a couple of times now. <laughs> and uh, I've seen it, I watch it from a subtextual point of view, um, and what whatever that word means. Earth, Helen. Sorry, I'm getting beat. This is this, this, this is the this, best intro we've ever done. This, this podcast is killing me now. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Helen Varley, and um, I've seen the show a couple of times. I've done this uh, podcast introduction more times than that. Um, but I actually remembered something from the first time I watched this episode, which I'm quite excited to tell you all about. Wow. I know. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate, comment and subscribe. And if you want to get in touch with us, you can do so on Twitter, which is at breakdown underscore old or email us on oldfashioned.breakdown at gmail.com. Um, today's episode is six months leave. Um, in this episode, Freddie Rumson has an accident at work and loses more than just his dignity. Betty and Don continue to avoid making a decision about their broken marriage. And Peggy gets a promotion, but discovers that success comes at a cost. Mm. Mm. Uh, okay, what did you think of this episode? Well, <laughs> I thought. <laughs> Do you know what I thought about this episode? I've, I can have a. I can take a good okay. guess. I thought this episode was reasonably enjoyable, um, but that I spent far too much time trying to figure out what was going on, um, what the what the characters were saying versus what they were actually saying, mm. um, and also I just found it a really like. It's a proper like negative vibes 
episode, wasn't it? There's like nothing nice happened in it. It was all horrible. Yeah, and I guess there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. Yeah. For sure. Should we tell them about um, the trials and tribulations of this podcast? <laughs> Should we just I mean, go all right. Episode? So here's the thing, guys. <laughs> Basically, every time Fola, Fola comes to my house to record the podcast and he comes and then he takes like, he takes like an hour to set up. <laughs> Because he, he thinks he's done it and then he's not done it and then he thinks he's done it. And today in particular, <laughs> so this week we've already recorded this podcast once on Wednesday. Yep. But we took so long, it was going on forever. In so I said to Fola, let's do it in two parts. But he was like, no, we can condense it. We'll get it done really fast. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like I'm trapped in a loop of recording this podcast <laughs> about Freddie Robinson wetting himself. <laughs> That's all, I, that's all I thought about this week, literally. <laughs> pissing himself at work. Okay. Well, 50th time's the, charge, uh, the, the charm, right? How's it sounding? It's sounding okay. All right. We're, if, we're doing good, guys. If it goes wrong, I'll let you know, but it seems to be okay. Okay, so let's just talk about the episode. So, um, I really like this episode. It's so dead. There's so much going on in it. And it literally, it, yeah. The reason this is so late is because, part of it is because it's just hard to to watch the show we're gonna try and get through it um and we'll see how see what happens so let's just um do you want to go have you gone through the, have you done um, the thing? so in terms of like i've told them what's in the episode right we, we will get our shit together by next time guys <laughs> so i think we start with the intro which is like the themes of the episode okay now i think the theme of the episode is um I don't really know. What do you think the theme <laughs> of the episode is? Have you got no idea, really? Well, I mean, I think it's it's really hard because there's so many things. I mean, I think the big strand um, that runs through, I guess, for me is like loneliness. Right, and, okay. And identity oh. and kind of like, I mean, I think particularly starting the episode with the whole Marilyn Monroe thing where everyone's yeah. like, oh, I, you know, I, I don't know how she could do that because she was so happy and she's surrounded by people. And, like, yeah. and it's like the different opinions on that. I think that's almost like... A subtext for the episode. Just these. <laughs> <laughs> Bless you. Thanks. Um, yeah, I think it's about. Um, I think it has a lot of that loneliness in there as well. Um, I, there's loads of stuff for me. I'll, I'll just go through them like I always do, and then we can talk about the actual show. Um, so I, I, there was a lot of stuff to do there in in this with talking. There's a lot to do with sickness. You know, there's a lot of people. I guess like mental illness is kind of like yeah. the, the, the the thing there. Um, did you notice the thing about numbers? No. There's loads of numbers in there. And I wouldn't normally notice that, apart from the fact that normally if there's a number, it usually um, pertains to something, it like means something, um, and it's kind of easy to track. But in this episode, like there's loads of random numbers that literally mean nothing. And so I they think, could just be random. No, 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 they're not, because they, 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 they wouldn't normally do... Like I don't think the show works like that. And I think the, I, the reason I think there's numbers in here, numbers and times and stuff, is around this idea. So if if we consider this is about depression and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. It, I think one of the things that makes people depressed is like it's f- falling behind or sort of lo- not fitting into place and not being part of society and all that kind of stuff and all these kind of rules and stuff. And, and what makes these rules are basically things like words really, but like numbers and times and, you know, they're all like human construct. Well, not, I guess not fully human constructs, but they're, they're, they're ways that we can kind of compartmentalize our lives and stuff. And really, as we're human beings, I don't think we're supposed to be compartmentalized is the point, right? I mean, my God, no, like that's the whole, I, I think definitely, I think that's still very true today that 
it's that ex- expectation versus because yeah. the thing is you're the things that you don't have are what make you unhappy yeah, yeah. and it's those are they're also things that society say that you should have yeah totally totally but they're not necessarily what you want no it's really really strange mm. um so yeah i think there's a lot of that in there and um what else uh so rules there's a lot of lying on couches yeah a lot of that there's a lot of that what did you I think of that, that. What did, what did you think of that? I think they all just need to get a decent bed spread and like a nice mattress and sort it out, have a good night's sleep. Well, at, th- at first I thought that had something to do with um, uh, therapy yeah, and stuff. Yeah, it could be. But then I thought maybe it's got more to do with waking up. But anyway, we'll talk about that ah, later. Uh, I like that. And then um, passivity and proactivity, which is a lot of, there's a lot of that in there. And, and the power of speech and rebirth. And there's a lot of deaths and rebirths in this. Um, I, yeah. feel, I feel like a lot of characters die in a certain way. Mm-hmm. So a lot, a lot of themes this week. Right? A lot of themes, right. yes. Um, so we should just I, right. So we split this into three, and uh, I guess it's really four characters, isn't it? It's like Don, Betty, um, uh, Freddie, and um, and Peggy. So yeah, I mean, I feel like the women in this episode, without going into this too much, but I feel like the women in this episode have almost like got one storyline. Oh, really? Yeah. I feel like all their storylines yeah. are the same storyline, but they experience them each in different ways. Mm. Sort of. Go on. I mean, so like, it's all about, so, I mean, we were just talking about that expectation, what you want versus what you should do, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. And I think it's that whole thing of like with Peggy, it's like she she perhaps should have told on Freddie so he could get the help that he needed yeah and they possibly could have kept his job yeah for joan it's like she shouldn't have had the affair in terms of a moral sense but in the sense of the fact that she still loves roger okay okay yeah 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 and then with um betty betty so i was gonna say jane then actually (laughs) i feel like jane's a bit of a a bit of an anomaly isn't she she's a bit sort of like She's just she's just getting a bit of off the stick, isn't she? Just like not really thinking about it. But even even she even she, you could also say that she imagined having this illicit. And we don't know much about it because a lot of it happens off camera. But she's having this illicit affair with Roger. Where I'm sure he's showering her with gifts and yeah. dinners and stuff like that. And she thought, oh, it's going to be a nice undercover thing. And suddenly he's in the office saying he's leaving his wife mm. for Jane. And do we know if Jane actually wanted him to leave his wife for her? We don't. We don't know. She didn't seem very happy about it. Did and she? then in terms of Betty, I mean, Betty's just a bit of a road cannon, isn't she? But she thought she wanted the whole marriage kids things, but and she should. She feels like she should want to get back together with Don. But I kind of feel like she's not sure if she does. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely got that. So that's sort of what I mean by that. Anyway. Yeah, okay. Right. Okay. Let's talk about Marilyn Monroe. So Marilyn Monroe, right? The, the, I think the thing I wanted to talk about with her is the fact that when I was a kid there was always this thing, I'm quite old, when I was a kid, there was always this thing, not that old, but like old know, enough right? to know, <laughs> old enough to know that Marilyn, Man- Marilyn Monroe was a huge thing at one point. And she still is. But when I was growing up, it was like, you know, she was still pretty, very much in the, she was. She was yeah, but she was dead when you were <laughs> yeah, born. Like, totally. I mean, you're giving them the impression that you you were there. <laughs> I, was, I was when she was singing that song to the president. I was there. No, um, no. When I was young, when I was young in the eighties, she was around. She was like, she was still a figurehead there, mainly because of people like Madonna and stuff like mm. that. 
She is an icon. She is an icon. But when I was a kid, I never really got the 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 sexiness to say, which is weird because like she's supposed to be this kind of like you know amazing icon, this amazing sort of thing that everybody's kind of attracted to. And I never really understood it. Uh, I get it a, a bit more now, but like then. I'm kind of it, what I'm trying to say is basically I didn't understand why she was so um, iconic. Well, I think I can answer that is the fact that she isn't necessarily iconic to men. She's also iconic to women. But why though? I, I, I know, and, and I'm, that's what I mean. Like, so I don't think it's a purely sexual thing. I mean, because obviously she had affairs, and she was very much a like almost felt like she was doing it. For herself, like she almost felt like. Don't get me wrong, I'm not a Marilyn Monroe expert, yeah. but she gave the impression that she was like she was a fabulous actress. She had yeah. this exciting life. Yeah, she lived on her own terms, and she was. I mean, I think she was what thirty when she died. I don't know. Actually. She was around that. It was around then, but like to think, I'm pretty sure she was. I think she was twenties. I can't remember. I, yeah, it might I, I be late twenties. Well, like twenty, but anyway, not old at all. Yeah. yeah. Um. And yet she'd she'd achieved so much in her life, and she was so loved. And I think women loved her because she was she was just a liberating figure for women as well. You, so the reason I bring it up is because you know we talk about like master signifiers mm-hmm. and all this kind of the, the almost like the first person to do something or the fir- the very the figurehead of something because they kind of invented it or they broke the rule to kind of do it. I think that's kind of from what I understand about Marilyn Monroe is she had some let's say uh saucy pictures yeah of her sort of like and to me it's kind of like around that time there's a lot of shame around all that kind of stuff and a lot of kind of you know if that happened if, if you were so sort of, people weren't sort of regularly photographed naked and it wasn't out it was like a big scandal if a girl showed her ankle or whatever <laughs> you know what i mean um and obviously marilyn monroe was kind of like well there's those pictures out about me now and I and she didn't care as far as I understand she didn't really and I think that's kind of what was the attraction it wasn't necessarily just the sex part it was the not caring and not not having the shame about it I think yeah no totally I mean women were supposed to be sort of Betty's at her housewife best you know they're like you know um, stay at home, wear pretty dresses, serve the men, like all that kind of stuff. And Marilyn wasn't about that at all. Yeah. And in this episode seems there's a lot of shame in this episode. There's a lot of that kind of like hiding who you really are. Yeah, for sure. I'd agree with that. And um, sort of like terrified of letting people know what's going on in your life and stuff. And I feel I feel like part of the, the Marilyn Monroe thing that comes up is because because of that because of this idea of shame and how shame kind of affects people and the fact that even though she was out there and sort of confident it wasn't really who she was so there's like almost two sides to it really there's this kind of hiding yourself but then there's also this idea of sort of putting yourself out there but not really putting yourself out there like not people not actually knowing who you are well it's like that with the guy in the lift that's hiding in plain sight exactly yeah. exactly exactly and that's kind of yeah, so the the thing about Hollis sort of like saying that when he says that it's like it's quite a a strong thing that he says. Um, what did you think about that thing he said about Joe DiMaggio? You know what? I was terrified you were going to ask me that. So I have no idea. <laughs> and I thought, I thought on Wednesday I was like, shit, we started recording. I'll look it up. Uh, you know, and then I was like, oh, and then after we stopped recording, I was like, oh, I can look it up now, and I've forgotten. 
who is and this if this is really embarrassing please cut it out of the podcast who is joey dimaggio i didn't know either um joe dimaggio was like a, a baseball player um and he's kind of quite an old baseball player basically he married um marilyn monroe um, oh. and then he divorced her and oh. then when when they divorced um they so she was going through all these troubles and she was depressed but so they they stayed friends okay and um and yeah and i think what's one of the things that's in this episode is this thing i was saying about athletes there's a lot of stuff about athletes and i think the reason one of the reasons hollis says i keep going back to joe dimaggio is because of how athletes are treated because he grew up because he grew up in a very poor sort of um, environment and you know he was the best at what he did but he also still had all these problems plaguing him in his life and like I think like Marilyn Monroe even though they had a tumultuous relationship she was like something that kind of I don't know real to him or something Mm. that kind of so when she died he kind of he paid for a funeral and sort of like I think he'd visit a funeral every year and stuff and send flowers to it and stuff and yeah he was just he was madly in love with her but it was like really tragic that um that yeah she she died and they, I don't think they they parted on the best of terms, but he was always there for her when she died. That's really just interesting and a bit of a bummer. <laughs> I don't think this is going to get happier. See what I mean? It's like a neck fest. <laughs> All right, let's um, let's having said that, let's let's go on to Betty and Don. So the whole thing, I think the first storyline we should talk about is Betty and Don, and like the whole idea of Betty and Don waking up in different places. Um, what did you think of? them two in the beginning of the episode when they wake up if anything um now i did have a point about this right but i have forgotten it right, um okay. so i think you should probably start well okay so i think one of the things that interesting to me is the fact that you know when don opens that paper yeah um he sees the he sees the, the heading on the paper and the the heading says um mm suicide or accident mm. and so mm could be marilyn monroe or it could be mad men oh my god it's not mad men <laughs> he doesn't know he's in the tv show this is not the truman show as <laughs> no i think okay obviously because it's an actual paper it's an actual sort of like it's an actual headline that, that was out when when marilyn monroe died um and obviously it's not mad men but you know, the meta of the show and stuff. I think that's the question that is being asked through the whole show, is this idea of suicide or accident, right? Um, the idea that suicide is something that you put yourself through on purpose. So, you know, let's say someone like um, uh, Freddie's kind of like, he's just, he lives this kind of very quiet life, but is he living that quiet life because of things that have happened to him? Or yeah. is he living this quiet life because he can't be bothered to do anything else mm-hmm. and i think that's in the same you see the same thing with don and you see the same thing definitely see the same thing with betty and this idea of like throwing yourself into something risky and dangerous or just kind of like you know holding back and are you doing that on purpose or are you not doing that on purpose so it kind of fits the episode right and that's why I, I, mean. no, I, I think i agree with that point <laughs> um so I, I kind of thought that was cool i, ca- I quite like it yeah and uh, <laughs> I like how you said that with like through gritted teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Bastard. 
Um, and um, I think the thing about Betty when she wakes up in the house. So I think that you can see the, t- the I think the show kind of has the two of them, both Betty and Don, sort of like reacting to the fact that you know they're they've separated in different ways. So you see Don is full of beans. He goes to that kind of blood drive thing, but Betty's kind of. I literally think she's like a ghost at the beginning of it, you know, talking about death. She's kind of like haunting the house. She's kind of yeah. watching someone else look after her kids while she kind of like floats above. Well, the thing is, I think the thing is with her is like nobody needs her anymore. Like the kids yeah. have Carla. Don doesn't need, you know, her to press his suit or whatever he norm- she normally does for him on a morning. It's like she's, she's not needed anymore once... Everyone's she, gone. She, she, she is just a ghost either. in an empty house. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's kind of that's kind of cool. Um, would, do you remember anything about the blood drive? I guess you probably don't because you didn't write any of it down. I had to write it down. <laughs> well, which part? Oh, about the conversation. Yeah. So in the whole blood drive, when they're sort of talking about, because um, I think it's quite an important scene. I mean, I I to- I think I mentioned this before, but I totally glossed over this scene <laughs> because, first of all, I didn't... It's one of those scenes where sometimes with Mad Men, I'll be watching it and it, they'll be talking about something and I'm just like, I don't care about this. <laughs> like, I don't, this isn't going to drive the plot along in any way. It's just like random scene. That you do to like, from what I call them random scenes. You probably call them your favourite scene. <laughs> this is like the most important scene. Well, I think it's um, basically a bunch of teenage guys putting on a competition about who's going to win a blood drive and being knobs <laughs> yeah pretty much that's pretty much what I was. so to me like i was kind of trying to figure out what this what was going on in this scene as well because it is i think it's one of those scenes that you were talking about where everyone's talking about one thing but they're really talking about something yeah, else. yeah. um and i think the thing they're actually talking about is this thing called an ego drive which okay. i'd never heard of and i don't even know if this is an actual thing um i i I found it online. I can't find out who kind of came up with the concept. I don't know if it's an actual thing that people uh, are aware of, but it says what I found is it's the definition of it is uh, the need of one individual to persuade another to particular, to a particular point of view and feel satisfaction in having done so. So the idea of basically controlling other people and feeling good about it. Okay. Which there's a lot of in this episode. Right. Um, and, you know, and this is basically that same thing happening in this episode where they're all talking about this idea of blood drive. And to me, it's it's almost like a parallel with um, workers and, you know, people that are working for them. And they're kind of like talking about giving, um, getting money, giving money to people so that they can, giving a, a dollar to people so that they can donate blood. At one point, someone says something about, um, yeah, someone says, uh, who gets the money? Do I get the money or the people giving blood? <laughs> literally, like, like, it's almost like literally sucking the blood out of people. And I yeah. feel like these characters, these these characters in this meeting are all kind of like, you know, they're all these kind of like rich, kind of powerful people. And they're sort of like um, determining the fates of like the workers and the, the elevator um, operators and all those kinds of people and it's like you know it's just the way people feed off other people is kind of really interesting especially I, it's mad men so it's kind of that's what the show's about anyway but yeah it's i think that's kind of it's pretty raw in this in this scene um yeah didn't get it 
<laughs> didn't get it glossed over uh fair enough um uh, that that scene kind of ends with um don uh with um harry asking don if um he'll go to this dinner this mitch miller dinner which i don't really want to talk about but that kind of has its own thing um this um it goes to, if he wants to go to this mitch mitch miller dinner and don says he can't do it uh because his kid is sick Mm. and i think that's kind of like the mental i think that's partly mental illness but i think there's also another thing which i'm going to talk about later about um the feminine and masculine sides of people right i think there's a bit of that in here as well well because you said my kid is sick <laughs> kind of yeah okay kind of <laughs> right but uh, but when he says you can't go um, um what's his name says uh, one one of the other characters says oh you got shot down right mm. And that kind of, to me is like a reference to remember remember shoot when um Betty's shooting down the pigeons. I remember that. Right. Okay. So I remember that specifically. So when he says that, it cuts to Betty in the house by herself, sort of like doing this thing where she's kind of defrosting the fridge. Oh yeah. Yes. What was that scene all about? Oh my god. I was like watching her like cut draw liners, being like, "Why is this TV like?" Seriously? Okay. My explanation for that is, um, so you know, you know, we've got this whole thing with this show and like heat and sex. Mm, uh, okay. So she's like, so they, they uh, for some reason, the idea is the hotter it gets, the less sex Betty seems to be having. Have you noticed that? No. So like the whole remember when they were sitting in that room, her and her friend were sitting in that room on that really hot day in Indian summer. Our favorite no, episode. Nobody was getting yeah, nobody was getting laid. And then there's a whole there's a whole scene where she in Babylon where she wants um she on one hand she wants to sleep with Don and on the other hand she wants like to get some air conditioning and they never they never get it. Um, and then there's the air conditioning guy. There's actually an air conditioning oh, yeah. guy. So, sexy air conditioning guy. so there's all these kinds of like allusions to kind of like, I think when Betty's cold, she is uh, in the mood. And when she's not, when she's hot, she's kind of not in the mood. And it's interesting that she's defrosting the fridge. So yeah. heating up the fridge. Um, and also when she's putting the, um, she put the liner into the, um, to the, to the drawer. It's really nice and it's kind of yellow. It kind of reminds you of Betty because like Betty is, wears a, a lot of yellow. And it's almost like Betty's kind of locking herself away. It's kind of like this this nice kind of liner that kind of goes into the drawer and then gets put away and then you never see it. And it's kind of like she's kind of hiding herself in a way. She's kind of feeling sorry for herself and hiding herself away. Uh, see, I thought okay. that this is basic. Okay. I just thought it was trying to show that she was trying to be useful Okay. Well, time I, I, where she has like those are the those are the tasks that you do when there's nothing else that needs doing. Yeah. Right? It's like cleaning out the fridge. Yeah. Like you know you don't nobody gets up in the morning is like right I'm gonna clean out my fridge. It's like that's the lowest priority thing. I'm yeah, gonna... totally. But it's kind of like she it's it's both, isn't it? It's like she she is figured um, metaphorically hiding herself away, but at the same time she kind of needs to keep herself busy and kind of just do things around the house and just feel sorry for yeah, herself no totally um because like later on there's like there's a cut and then later on you see her sort of with the the wine glass and she's drinking do you know wine i've realized that wine in this show means like sorry i think i think it's you know, really yeah because you know in um remember when uh, uh roger tried to sleep with betty yes <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I'll stop doing no, no, no. My, my, my two least favourite words. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm sure viewers, you love it, but when he goes, remember when? And I'm like, no. There's a, there's a 95% chance that I don't remember what you're going to say. So when, when Roger tried to sleep with Betty and then he came back into Don's office and he brought in a bottle of wine and he apologised. Okay. So I mean, I'll, I'll trust you that it happened. I always associate um, wine with sorries in this in this in this show now. Um, so yeah, so she, and she's sitting there with this wine and she's reading this book called uh, what's the book called? Um, it's called um, Ship of Fools, right? And Ship of Fools is this this book about um, people moving on from like trauma and stuff and yeah, it's oh, just it? yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like it's really sort of and it's kind of like it pinpoints a lot of what the characters are going through in this episode um yeah and that's that's really cool um <laughs> we should move on we should keep going before. all right where are we up to we're up to um jane telling don about the phone the phone mail uh the phone the the, the phone now call the is phone. this the part yes so this is the part where she fluffs up she comes in hmm because we've already had an interaction between them, which is the Marilyn Monroe thing, where she's crying at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, Jane, what is she doing? <laughs> she's a dirty flirt, she isn't she? I mean... I don't... Did she do anything? This. So I think in this scene, I don't think she does that much. Well, I think... <sighs> I think Don's kind of into her. What? Do no. you not? You don't think Don's into her? No. Okay, so, so okay, so the reason I say that is because when she it's really subtle, it's really really subtle, but she kind of she's sitting there talking to him, and when she gets up, she kind of like pats the dress down, and and Don does this sly look where he just looks up and down her body, but it's like you can't. Yeah, it's but that doesn't necessarily mean a guy fancies you. That just means that like you're being checked out. Okay, <laughs> okay, I, I fair enough. I mean, do you, every woman you look up and down, you're not like, oh, I fancy you. You just them out just having a little once over <laughs> i am not even gonna argue it i i mean you know i think <laughs> i wouldn't say that's i i don't think he's ever been especially warm towards jane right okay. if anything i think he's quite cruel to her okay so let me put this to you towards you right this episode is you'd say you agree that this episode has a lot to do with um passivity and be passive right yeah I think that Don is being quite passive to to Jane. And he's not sort of like saying, I want to go out with you or kind of like, you know, meet me at my thing. But he does say, he does tell her what hotel he's at. And I know he's doing it for his job, but he's literally saying like, I'm at the Roosevelt. And like, you can take that however you want to take it. But I take it as... It's him being really passive while at the same time trying to let her know I'm at the Roosevelt. This is Don we're talking about. <laughs> I mean, I know, but at the same time, it's like if, you know, there was an emergency, like she would need to know that. Yeah, that's true. And he that's was true. like, keep it private, it's personal. Like it wasn't like going like broadcast it to everyone. I think he did that. Mm hmm. And as a result, Jane thinks that he's into her, but I don't think he is into her. Okay. They're, they're going to get together, aren't they? Fair I'm enough. I'm so wrong about this, aren't Fair I? I, 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 no, I, I just think that's actually a good point. I mean, good, I just think that, I didn't think about. her demeanour is she sort of comes in. I think Jane is quite good at manipulating men. <laughs> well, I mean, say. I say that quite good. I think she's a fucking demon. <laughs> um, she is, I mean, obviously she's very beautiful. 
She's very young. What is she, 20? Did we establish I in a think, previous Isn't she episode? 22 or something? Something like that, early 20s. Yeah. Um, I mean, she's clearly got them all wrapped around a little finger and she knows how to... And I think she is keeping her options open. All right, um, okay. And I think, you know, because her buying the shirts, mm. it's almost like she doesn't ask to be paid back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he says, I'll put well, the receipt we're, through. We're not there yet. Sorry. Um, <laughs> well, I just want to say one thing about this scene as, as well, because there's a lot in this scene, there's loads of stuff in this scene that kind of alludes to kind of this idea of rules, because that's when she te- she sort of reads out the um, schedule to him. Mm-hmm. And she's like, you know, you, know you, you need to be here, you need to be there. And it's like specific times and stuff. What's interesting about the meeting that he's got with Roger is Roger moves his meeting, the timing for his meeting, because he can do what he wants. Um, and also, you know, I was saying about how um, I think this this episode's got something to do with um, feminine and, and masculine sides. There's this whole conversation about how um, he, he doesn't, she doesn't say his, yeah, she says your daughter called and asked when you'd be back from the business trip. Uh, because her mother wasn't sure and it's to me it felt quite um removed from what's actually happening like you could read it loads of different ways Mm. you could read it from like yes his daughter's doing this or you could read it from the fact that don you know in a meta kind of way he's don's kind of um there's a girl looking for don and don's kind of left her behind and i feel like there's something about sensitivity and the fact that Don's kind of moving on from his 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 wed his his marriage without really talking about it, without saying anything about it, because you know that's quote unquote girly or whatever, and he's trying to be sort of trying to just handle it and be all manly about it and stuff. And he's that you know he stares her down and he's kind of like like you say he's kind of being quite. I don't want I don't want any I don't want any I don't want anyone feeling sorry for me and all that kind of stuff. Mm. And he's like really kind of stirred and stuff. I just think it's really interesting. It's hiding his emotions. Not like Don at all. <laughs> Not like Don, no. Um, so I do, have we met Sarah Beth before? Yes. When? <laughs> she's at the um, she's the one she, at the 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 um the riding thing. Yeah, yeah. So we, have we only met her in the ride? She's not the one that that was pregnant. No, no, no. no that's no, not thank either. God, because <laughs> I was like, okay. But yeah, I mean, um, that's Francie. So I thought it was quite weird. So first of all. Betty's drunk in the middle of the day. Well, first of all, she's lying down. She's lying down. And she wakes up. Because the doorbell goes. Because the doorbell goes. And she calls for Carla. Carla's not there, so she goes and gets it herself. Yes. And then she says to Sarah Beth that she's ill and she's not going to the party. And Sarah Beth pretty much ignores her. Yeah, and it's like, I want to borrow your dress. And then make, and then goes upstairs. Yeah. And um, it's interesting that she, um, uh, she says that she doesn't want to go to this party because like Don had the same thing where they wanted mm. him to go to that party and it's like I think the idea that these two there's these Don and Betty's marriage is kind of like a business well I think they've always said they've always said that Don and Betty's marriage is like a business right mm. but you can see it here how much pressure is on them to be together so that it helps other people out it's almost like they're being used yeah um and they're kind of like trying to break out of that mold but um I think do you know the? Did you notice the dress? This is another thing. That, <laughs> this is Which another. One? Thing. There's about twenty. She wanted to borrow the black chiffon dress. Yeah. And black chiffon is a play, um, that came out around that time, and it's about a woman who breaks under the stress of lots of people asking for her help. 
No way. Oh, I got goosebumps. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Um, and also, they um, they they call out um, Gypsy. The, t- the the have you seen Gypsy? No. Okay, Gypsy is about this um, woman who has two daughters, and she keeps telling them what to do, and one of them just leaves because she's been overworked and being told what to do all the time. I like again. Okay. That's another. Also, <laughs> there's another little theme that's in there. Um, so there's a lot, quite a lot of like showbiz references and stuff. There's loads, yeah. yeah. Um, but what I think the main thing from this scene is the fact that Betty she wakes she wakes up and she halfway through this conversation that she's having with with Sarah Sarah what's her name Sarah, Sarah Beth, Beth um, she realizes that Sarah Beth is using her. Yeah. Did you get that when she's when Sarah Beth starts talking about um, she just just telling. It's, it's almost like Sarah Beth's talking about herself, but she doesn't really care that um, that she doesn't care about um, Betty at all. So like Roger and Don. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I got that. <laughs> so that's really cool. Um, and then we see this. This I love this. I love what you put in here. Um, Betty and Don have a non-conversation. <laughs> they did have a non-conversation. It was so weird because, like, I mean, so there's a couple of things with this scene. Is it's like, I mean, what you were saying earlier mm. about the kid ringing up. The kid ringing up. The kid ringing up. And oh Jane, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's almost like that's the kind of thing I feel like Betty would do to find out when he was coming home. Oh, okay. Do you know what I mean? It's, she's that kind of. Oh, you'd get. She'd like get the kid. She'd get the kid to phone home. To, to yeah, yeah. All right, okay. I never thought about that. Yeah, she I would think, do that. I mean, you? you know, like I say, I will never know either way. But it just kind of feels like she's sort of waiting for that. <laughs> I never even thought about that. That she's waiting for that confrontation because I think it's, I think it's very much a, hanging there, and one of them is, neither one of them wants to give. Yeah, yeah. Sort of like Don's just like, tell me what you want. And yeah. I think she doesn't. She doesn't really know what she wants. She wants to know what he wants. Yeah. So they're sort of like at this sort of stalemate. <laughs> now, a couple of things that are weird. Yeah. Like, why does he call his daughter Salamander? <laughs> Isn't that like a lizard? That's a really weird name to call your child. It is very weird, isn't it? Um, so I think the reason he calls her Salamander is because, like, so one of the things that they talk, one of the things that comes up for me in this scene is um, it's almost like there's a lot of references to, you know, we talk about, um, rebirth and starting again and all this kind of stuff and the cyclical nature of life and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So when, so one of the things that um, Betty says to the kids is like, go upstairs and brush your teeth, which is like, you know, you always have to do, you have to do it every day to kind of, once you've done it, doesn't mean you've done it forever. You need to do it again. Um, there's also, um, there's also the fact that she says she'll come next time when, when she, when. Oh Yeah. The um, weekend away or whatever. So there's all the these li- little things to that, and you know salamanders, um, they regenerate, they regenerate parts of their body. Oh, okay. So <laughs> I think it's a, I think it's a nod to that. Um, <laughs> I love the fact that um, so to me also this scene, like a big part of this scene is. I don't know. This is like me going out on a ledge with this right. one. Like, this is oh, like, okay, I'm this ready is, for this. This is just weird, right? So when they're when they're talking about like um, what what should we what should we tell them we can't you know it's impossible they they can't I, I don't want them to to know and all this kind of stuff and they've been really sort of 
secret about it. It sounds like obviously in the episode, in the actual real life of the show, they're talking about the kids. But I think it's also an allusion to this thing again of masculine and feminine sides. Mm. And I think Don's really talking about his feminine side and how his feminine side is trying to kind of like he's confused and doesn't like think about it like this. Like so, when they're talking to the kids, or when Don's talking to the kids, when it comes to Bobby, he kind of kisses him on the on the head and taps him on his ass and sends him upstairs. But when it comes to um, Sally. He sits, he like crouches down, he talks to her and he's like really, really nice to her and he gives her a really long hug and he's like really sort of like, you know, tender mm. towards her. And it's this idea of him sort of, I think there's the way he deals with maybe the ex- external f- women, women or females in his life, he's kind of quite protective to them. But the actual inner female or his kind of like actual feminine side, he kind of casts aside. That's the way I see it. <laughs> Maybe I'm, so, I'm dragging way too much out of it. Um, <laughs> I don't really know what. To there's no way. There's no way to kind of like I don't know. That's that's just my thoughts. Um, but then we can talk about um, the other Jane, uh, the other Jane scene now. Oh, okay, thank you. Thank you for giving me your permission. Um. <laughs> um you can control it. Like I say, I mean, I think we've, uh, I think, as I say, I mean, we could continue the debate about whether Don fancies Jane or not, but I would say at this point that I feel like Jane sees an opening now because she has the information that the marriage is on the rocks. Okay, okay. And she's looking to swoop in. Right. And my question would be, mm. for what reason? I don't know. Because if she's already got Roger. Yeah. But maybe the mm. thing is like, if she's ranking the men in terms in terms of like, because you know Roger's pretty old and he's had two coronaries. But hang on, wait, wait, wait. If she's because the way I look at it is her and Roger's relationship is pretty full on, right? How do we? How do you know that though? Because he's leaving his wife. <laughs> no, but he is leaving his wife. But at no point is it said what she wants. Okay. At no point does anyone reference what she wants. This is a good point. So that's that's an interesting. Like all we see is her at the end, and he's stood behind her with his hands on her shoulders, and she's sitting down. Yeah, she there might is be, no be mortified. Exactly, she might not have even wanted him to leave his wife. Right. Like I don't know. Like I don't know. This um, could be a cry for help. Well, or it could be that, be that she's trying to trade up to the best, because I, mean, I think she's very unaware of the relationships within the office. I think she's right. not quite as. She thinks Don sort of is what he looks like. But, but in terms of like Roger and Don's closeness, perhaps like she is still quite new. Right. Um, I think she's either like trying to get him to like her more. Right. Okay. By buying the shirts. Uh, yeah. But she comes that in and sense. she's very like. Hmm. Oh, she's all very flirty. Yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. it's like that's completely di- different demeanor to what we've seen before. So I think in conjunction with the scene that we see before, like so, this when Don and Betty are having their conversation, and Don's like sort yourself out and he's kind of like I think at the end of that scene he's kind of like said to her sort it out if you want to if you don't want me to come back I'm not coming back right and then he goes in the, goes into this next scene and uh, Jane comes in and she says I uh, do you want anything with your coffee and Don says he wants a bear claw yeah and you know what bear claw is yeah so I, didn't, donut. I didn't know what bear claw was but like obviously a bear claw is, is a donut or whatever but at the same time to me that's kind of like him sort of like 
Like oh my god, did pouring. you just do a little bear claw with your hand? Like That's so pouring, pouring at like someone like Jane or like moving on, trying to get, trying to move on from Betty. Yeah. Um, and in this whole scene, it's like really, really flirty. I don't know if a bear claw is considered quite a childish thing to eat as well. Is it? I don't, oh, okay. I don't know. I don't okay. know because I'm not American. Well, that makes sense. But I seem to recall at, at camp, bear claws being a thin thing for like younger people not, there you go then i don't know for sure like reaching out for mummy well that's it is is i think there's a whole thing there of like if if what you're saying is true it's almost like he walks out of one domestic situation and straight into another. it's almost yeah. like he can't escape that well i don't think it's that he can't escape i think he's trying to i think he's i think he's left one he's, in his mind he's left one domestic situation is trying to get into another the fact that you know she brings him the menken's bag she doesn't know mm. who Menken is, but obviously that's like, it's a massive symbol for like some sort of affair or some sort of yeah. like other woman or something like that. Um, and obviously at the end when he tells her to like, you know, are you a, do you faint? Are you a fainter? Uh, <laughs> and she says, I'm not a fainter, but I might cry. And that to me was like, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that to me, that's like clearly a come on of some sort, but um uh, yeah, I, and and it's interesting at the end of that scene where he, he actually puts the Menken bag away as if to say like he's done with Menken and he really has moved on to another girl who just happens to be Jane. Oh, God. <laughs> Do you agree? Disagree? I mean, like I said, I'm just not feeling the vibe you between okay. Jane and Don. I just don't feel it, mm-hmm. and it's upsetting me. If it's gonna happen, which I feel like it is from the way you grin at me, I I am not giving anything oh, away. Well, I I'm think just, you have already. Okay. Cause you're sort of like just grinning. I mean, you would just say if they didn't get together. Fair enough. Fair enough. But fair enough. I mean, why would you dip your ni- nib in after like Roger's been in there? Like, <laughs> but honestly. he doesn't know, does he? Well, of course he knows. Like as you just pointed out, he's lo- leaving his. Yeah, but he doesn't. Her. He doesn't know. He d- we haven't we haven't got to that point. <laughs> oh, fine, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's weird. That... Yeah. yeah, we haven't got there yet. Okay, um, should we talk about Carla? So this interesting. This is interesting as well. I think this is like this. So the I think the first, that the scene with Don was like Don kind of like getting over Betty and moving on. And I think this scene with Carla and Betty is like Betty getting over Don and moving on from him. But then why is she looking through the drawers? This is, well, that's the, one, that's, that's, that's the point. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, at the end of this scene, she's kind of gone, okay, I'm over it now. And I think that that her looking through the drawers is like her obsessing over Don, right? It's like, mm-hmm. oh, that's her, her, how she's thinking about Don. But I think uh, she take. I think she takes Carla's advice. What's really interesting is when Carla comes in and catches Betty doing that, she says, she calls out Bobby's name. And obviously Bobby has the same name as... She basically blames Bobby. Mm. And like I said, I think that this episode has a lot to do with blame as well. And it's like, obviously what's going to end up happening is, well, I guess, I'm not giving anything away, but I imagine what will end up happening with um, Betty. One of the reasons she's able to move on from Don's kind of infidelity in this sense is she just blames Bobby. She said it was all Bobby's, po- Bobby's fault. And that's why... That's a lot for Bobby. 
Not, not the kid. <laughs> not the kid. I mean... Oh, of course, because they're... Yeah, all right, fine, I'm with you now. That's, like, that's a lot for the poor child. It's all your fault. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, yeah, I think the drawers thing is interesting because the last time we saw her going through the drawers... We've seen her go through those drawers. She's gone through the drawers before. Yeah. It's almost like she's in a circle. She's stuck in the cycle yeah, yeah, yeah. of, like, yeah. how do I get past this? Yeah. She knows what's inside the drawers. Um, she doesn't. But she does because she's been through them before. No, no, these are different drawers. Are you so, joking? Yeah, this is different drawers. Like she's been through, like she's been, she's got the stuff that isn't. How incriminating. many drawers are in the house? Well, think about it. She, we haven't. She doesn't know about Don's actual life. She doesn't know who he is. Yeah, but she doesn't know that she doesn't know who he is. <laughs> but she, yeah, which is why she's trying to get into this drawer, right? She just knows it's locked and yeah, she doesn't why, know it's in there. Okay. I think, the, to be honest, I think it's part of like it's the writing and it's just like they wanted to show her still obsessing over Don. Okay, fine. <laughs> oh, for once, I'm the one that's going, there must be more. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like Carla. I like Carla and she's Carla's, I mean, she doesn't look old enough to have been married for 20 years. But Yeah. There's, a, there's another arbitrary number. 20 True. years. Um we could say more about that, but we won't. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about um. So Betty. So so that's the thing, isn't it? She so so she takes Carl's advice and then she goes out riding. Yeah. Um, with no trousers on, according to you. Well, that's what I wrote because she's not wearing any trousers. She looks like she she's not wearing. To put no trousers. Looks... Put, put, I mean, she looks fabulous, <laughs> but she's not wearing. Like in the past, we've always seen her. I think it's maybe it's like a sexual awakening. Maybe I genuinely, like... I genuinely didn't know what you were talking about. Did you look back? And then I watched it back, and I was like, "Oh, it looks like she hasn't got any trousers on." Does she? Know, does she have trousers on? Yes, she does. Does she? <laughs> I'm gonna have to watch that again. I was like, watch it. I only watched it once through. But I was like, there's this shot where she's walking towards Arthur. And it literally looks like she's got a jacket and riding boots on. And I was like, that's a bit saucy, Betty. It does, though, that's the thing. It actually does. But um, no, they are trousers. They're our trousers, okay. Well, trousers then I, I retract that comment yeah, about her wearing no trousers. Totally different show. <laughs> but um, what's interesting about this scene for me is it's it's like the ego drive, right? So um, that room full of those guys sort of like um, controlling and puppeting all the people that mm. sort of work for them. And here's Betty sort of talking to Arthur doing exactly the same thing where she's kind of like trying to manipulate them and just make herself feel better because that's what the ego drive does it's like now yeah since it's not anywhere else in here i don't think Mm -hmm. is her aim to mess up mary sarah beth's marriage i think it is in a way i think i think she's just pissed off with Mary, well, here's the thing. So it's because two, isn't it's, that what Sarah Beth wants? Because she wants to hang out with Arthur, right? I don't think it's what she wants. I think because what what Sarah Beth basically said to her in that in that meeting when they were when they were chatting is that because you're he, because you're there, it stops me from jumping his bones, right? And that's kind of like so. Betty's kind of in my mind. Betty's kind Betty hears that and is like, "What? So I'm just there to stop you from shagging this dude." And she really pisses her off. And mm. she's kind of like, I'm not getting used like that. So she kind of like makes a specific step, like a, a proactive step to kind of go, well, I'm not, you're not using me. I'm going to use you. And she's just kind of, and I think, you know, what we were saying before about how 
there's this female jouissance and it's kind of like how it's um it um it's a it it's a lot of it's tied into helping people and seeing the joy of other people and i think it's really twisted the way she does it because it's like yeah she is kind of helping but at the same time she's also fucking up their lives <laughs> and i think she kind of like i love the kind of the, the 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 scarlet woman thing she does is she walks away she's like smiling and then the smile drops and she just walks off yeah like yeah. kanye west sort of thing where <laughs> she's like <laughs> she's like grinning and then as soon as he's gone she's like mm. um but yeah it's it it's it's kind of i haven't really spoken about like empty speech yet but there's a lot of empty speech in what she's talking to um uh arthur with where she's kind of making small talk but not really saying anything and almost like saying what she doesn't mean mm. and um and yeah just to kind of manipulate things to her own ends so that's kind of interesting um i kind of like i kind of because helen kind of wrote the um the the thing but i kind of jumbled uh, jumbled up some of the scenes so the in the rundown so i kind of jumped towards um sarah beth and arthur's meeting because uh, I think that's kind of it thematically fits for what we're talking about. Okay. So. Glad to hear it. Okay. Um, yeah, and I just wanted to put that in there because it's like, <clears throat> yeah, because we see how it kind of how Betty's kind of control has affected them, and obviously, it's interesting. I don't want to go too much into Lacan stuff, but like, I'm pretty sure. There's this thing that there's this thing that Lacan says about female jouissance being um, an infinite sort of jouissance. It's like a, it, it's just it's 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 all consuming and stuff, and it makes women do like crazy stuff that that kind of men could never do. Do you know what I mean? It's like I don't know how to describe it, but it's like it makes women stronger in certain ways, uh, and and it's kind of interesting that um, Sarah Beth kind of says that you know this is going to be infinitely more fun. It's like a direct quote mm. uh, from a thing, and it's like I know that the, I know I got really excited last last episode when I saw a Verumian knot kind of like in this in the corner of like a tiny little screen uh, in the show, but like I like the tiny little hints to Lacan that come up because I still don't know if I'm right. I still don't know if that is, if that show actually is kind of um, referencing him, but it does seem to. Um, but what did you think about them two meeting up? Sorry, it's just me talking at the moment. <laughs> Which people? <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking. I'm talking about um, Beth, Beth, Sarah Beth. And I Arthur. thought you were right, but then you start going on about the can a bit, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm the worst co-host ever. I'm sorry. Um, I didn't think anything of it. Did you not? Did you... I thought that I thought that because I'm really simple and I just watch a lot of soaps. I thought that um, what's going to happen is that. Betty knows that he loves her. He's in love with her, right? Right, yep, yep. Yeah. So I thought she's going to set them up on this lunch. Yeah. Yeah. She, Sarah Beth is going to make a move and Arthur's going to be like, no. Oh, right. It's going to be embarrassing and humiliating for her. Oh. And also then she's going to be panicked about her own marriage. We don't know. Maybe that will happen. Well, I don't know. I, I just, that's what I'd assume because if you set because the thing is the other thing that was said in that bedroom scene before when they're picking out the dress yeah is she talks about how perfect oh um, perfect uh, don is don is and their marriage is basically and all that kind of stuff yeah and i think it's that whole thing of like 
Did she? I like how she says that her her husband's really boring because he's really nice. Well, exactly. <laughs> it's that whole thing of like she wants excitement. Yeah. And it's almost like Betty's Betty almost wants to break up her marriage so she can see right how painful right, it is. Okay, okay, yeah, I see what you mean. Do you see what I mean? Just because someone's because actually, you know, I mean, Betty's she not necessarily wants, the nicest, but she's never. It's like when Betty went out and started shooting those birds. Yeah. It's the same sort of thing where she's kind of like just trying to destroy other people's lives because her life's miserable. Exactly. <laughs> I think, um, you know, it's a punishment for like... Because, I mean, I think... Yeah, I mean, there's a whole other conversation that could be had there about infidelity and what that means and... Okay. What that means for her. Because I think... I mean, they weren't especially happy before she found out about the infidelity. No. And we forget that. The infidelity is almost like the breaking. mm Mm. But it's almost it's almost given her the reason to walk away. It's less about the infidelity and more about the fact that they they just don't click. It's more about yeah. Well, it's more about the escape. It's like this is an opportunity for them both to go their separate ways. Yeah. The big issue is neither of them can can kind of get past the we should try and work on our marriage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hmm. But they don't. I don't think either of them want to. No, no, they don't. They kind of. Clearly, just want to split up with each other, I, I, or maybe they just need a break. Who knows? Um, one thing that's cool about that scene um, with Sarah Beth and Arthur is it cuts straight to obviously Betty cooking with the kids. Yeah, and she, she hangs up the phone. Puts the phone off a hook. Yeah, um, and I also like the fact that she, <laughs> as soon as it goes to that that scene, um, Betty tells the, um, I think she tells Sally to keep stirring. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and uh, Bobby and she tells Bobby to get two spoons. Now remember in <laughs> in um, one of the episodes, I can't remember which one it was. Um, actually, it's um, I think it's Kennedy, Kennedy versus Nixon, uh, and Don refers to Kennedy as a silver spoon um, president because mm-hmm. he's all pri- privileged. And it's like she's referring, like when when she said, tells Bobby to get two spoons, it's like referring to the privilege of them two because she's got them together. Uh huh. And I could talk about middle class privilege and how it's just this thing that gets handed down. I won't bother going into it. Symbolism of a spoon, everyone. <laughs> Symbolism of a spoon. Yeah. Um, and then we've got the final scene as the episode. Oh, no, this is not the final scene, sorry. This is the bit where Don tells Roger he's not bothered about the separation. Oof. So, I mean, the big thing for me here was, obviously, we've seen Don trying to hide what's been going on for so long, mm. and he breaks a little bit. And the mm. whole, I think the whole thing, this is one of the scenes where you get confused by what Roger's asking and what he's saying. Yeah. Because he's saying, on the one hand, I've been married 25 years or 20 years or however long he says... And then he's also going, oh, but I've had two coronaries. Yeah. And you're kind of like, are you saying you should stick at your marriage? Are you st-? And then he says that line that confused me, which I mentioned before. Which one was that? Which was about the, they're married to us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What's the first part of this that line? He says, um, why do we do it? And he says, because we're married or something. Yeah. Why do we do it? Because we're married. Yeah. And he says, we're married. He doesn't say because you're married or because I'm married says we're married and it's like to me that's um to me what's happening in this scene. so basically um 
first of all, let's just talk about the fact that this this scene is basically shot as the mirror image to uh, Red in the Face. Um, that that bar shot in Red in the Face, where they kind of where Don uh, where R- 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 Roger checks out the two women. Um, it's exactly the same shot. Anyway, um, I think in this scene, Roger is trying to get Don to open up because he wants to bond with him in a very kind of similar way that he would bond that that Roger has bonded with his wife. It's called transference, and it's where you go, like you know, when you go and see a therapist. Mm-hmm. And you get to know the therapist and you talk to the therapist and you sort of build up this bond. And it's it's almost, it's, it's like a loving relationship, right? And the reason you do that is so that you can talk to that person the way you would talk to somebody in your life that doesn't allow you to or doesn't give you enough boundaries or gives you too many boundaries, right? So say, for instance, like you have a a friend that you can't shout at, but you get really angry with them. Um, you instead what you do is you shout at the analyst and that gets those feelings out Mm. so you can feel better or whatever and you can sort of then you can and it's almost like you can practice that with the analyst and then you can go out and feel confident to do it with people in real life and what don what what roger's doing here is he's doing the same thing but instead of it being a friend he's using rod he's using don as if don was his wife so he asks him this question, like, so he's asking all this stuff about, like, should I leave and all this kind of stuff. And Don, I can't remember what Don says. But to he him. doesn't say, I sh- should I leave? No, he doesn't. He's talking about Don and Don's situation. Yeah, totally. But it's kind of, it's, it's still. But it's his. It's, yeah, it's still. Yeah, I got that. It's still the same sort of. It's, it's He's still in a roundabout way. Well, as far as I'm concerned, he's still in a roundabout way looking for some sort of... He's looking for validation. Validation, exactly, exactly. And that, and he gets it as well. And he gets the validation. And he that's... does get it, but he manipulates the answer. I guess, yeah. Because he sort of, he doesn't go, you know, he's like, oh, well, you know, we could die or like this could happen or like, you know, we need to grab what we want from life and all that sort of stuff. We're in it together. Exactly. He, yeah. He's sort of... He's at a, you know, he's old, obviously older than Don, and you know, I think he's he's basically. It's almost like I mean, I think that this whole night out thing is almost like Don is just being used. He's just yeah, a reason for when Roger goes home and says to Mona, "We're breaking up." He he can say exactly what he says, which is. It's your life. It's Don said, you know, yeah, yeah, Don yeah. made me do it. Don's convinced me because he doesn't want to take the responsibility there is that actions. as well yeah totally there is that as well um one of the indications of that is um there's a lot of another thing that comes up a lot in this episode is people punch uh, people tapping each other on the shoulder or punching each other on the arm and stuff mm-hmm. and at the end of this episode at the end of this scene uh, roger punches don on the shoulder when he says we're in it together and he kind of like do you remember that? You probably don't remember. No. Okay. Um, but it's it's a thing that keeps coming up, and it happens with it happens with Peggy as well. But we'll talk about that later. Uh, shall we go on to Freddie's alcoholism then? Yeah. Okay. That happy story. That happy happy story. So okay, so we talked about we talked about a lot of things, and I kind of the first time we did this podcast, we started off on this um this idea of well we started off on freddie's storyline and i didn't really want to do that because there's just so much going on in this one scene that he has where he's uh he sat there absolutely hammered and reading the paper 
Um, did you see? Do you remember what was? No, it doesn't matter. I was going to say, do you remember what the headline on the paper was? No, I don't remember what the headline <laughs> on the paper was. All right, fair enough. Um, I think so. I think this episode. I think this scene is basically about. Um, yeah, it's like what we've talked about. It's like sleepwalking through life, right? To the point where that when um, Freddy, uh, when Freddy gets found out and he pisses himself, he just gets up and walks over to his chair and falls asleep. Um, what did you think of this scene? I mean, like I said, I think this is actually, it's actually quite a shocking scene, though. I oh think yeah, that's what that's what's funny about it. Right, not funny, ha ha, funny, but like strange. Yeah. yeah. Because of all the scenes, it feels like, you know, quite, it's actually quite a vulnerable scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, which we don't see a whole lot of in Mad Men. I feel like there isn't an awful lot of vulnerability, from, particularly from a, a male character's point of view. Okay. Um, or we haven't for a little while, I don't think. It's funny that you get it in this episode. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe I just have... Because the thing is, I mean, as we mentioned before, I think... Freddie's an interesting character for me because I feel like I don't know Freddie. Like yeah, I don't yeah. know him like I know Pete or Ken yeah. or, you know, I feel like he's always just been there a bit like a ghost. Yeah. Like he's always been there, but I've never really noticed him before. Totally. He's always been part of the furniture. It's like they introduce him and then they get rid of him. And when and yeah, when I if you think about him and they they go in and he recites the um pitch like word for word like i didn't at that point you can't tell that he's drunk realize he was drunk yeah. yeah i was just sort of like okay this is going to be another blood drive what the hell's really going on in this scene <laughs> and then that was the point when he finished doing that yeah i was like this is he, he's gonna wet himself and i remembered <laughs> oh, right, um, okay. and i yeah he walks over to the drinks cabinet and isn't he pouring a drink for sal or something when yes it happens? yeah yeah he pours he his massive drink sal. can i do oh, about that drink that he pours for sal because what they talk about, they're talking about, um, they say that uh, if um, Don said we should only bring up Volkswagen if we don't, if they don't like what we say or something like that, right? And it, to me, it's kind of like this idea of you only say something if you're not happy with what you're given. And obviously, that's when um, uh, Freddie gives um, the whiskey to, um, to Sal. Mm. And Sal doesn't say anything. Because he's quite happy with what he's got. Yeah. He, even though he's a bit kind of shocked and it's not 100% what he wants, he doesn't say anything. And it's like, it's, and that's kind of, I think that's how Freddie's lived his life where he's kind of, you know, he has this amazing job and it's possibly too much for him. It's not exactly what he wants, but he doesn't say anything. Let's put it this way. He's a glass half full kind of guy. <laughs> very good way of putting it. Yes, I like it. Or very full. Glass very full kind of guy. Um, uh, but he's... Uh, anyway, then when he when he pisses himself, it's the reactions of the other characters. Right. Like, it's mm. um, funny. It's uh, comedy to Sal. Yeah. It's laughter. It's can hilarious. I, can, I'll let you go on, but I'm just... Like, the whole thing with laughter, there's a lot of laughter in this episode. And it's all... To me, it's the most tragic kind of laughter imaginable because i think every character that laughs is almost like hiding some sort of shame i do not remember a lot of laughter in this episode well there's the laughter in this part there's yeah. the laughter in um there's a laughter when they're in the um 
when they're waiting to get into the speakeasy. Right. There's the laughter when they're in the blood drive and they're sort of like waiting. And it's all kind of like masking this kind of like sadness, this kind of tragedy. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Sorry, I'll let you go on. I mean, yeah, I, I think, you know, but Sal's the typical kind of, you know, teenage bloke in, yeah. that, in that. And then you've got Peggy, who is, I would say, shocked. And then there is Pete, who is disgusted. Peggy, who's quite... Um, 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 is it empathetic? Mm. She's quite empathetic, and 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 um, Pete doesn't have any empathy whatsoever. He, yeah, he's just disgusted. But sorry, go on. But I would ask mm. the question as to why. I think with her, she has a bit more of a relationship with Freddie potentially. Yeah. Than the other two do. Yeah, definitely. Well, like she says, she loves she loves Freddie. Later on. Um. I wanted to say that, um, so the thing that Pete, Pete's like really disgusted is like, and he's, you know, visibly and viscerably disgusted. I think it's one of the things of the, I think his name's Vincent Carpether, the guy that plays Pete, is like a really emotive actor. Mm. And he's like really sort of, and, and he really gets across that point that he's absolutely disgusted. And when he says it's disgusting, like you can you can feel it. It's like mm. it's a it's a visceral thing. And I guess in the last podcast, I kind of talked about how the Simpsons silhouette uh, speech was like this whole thing about about full speech and empty speech and stuff. I won't really go into it again, but um, but it is. There's a lot of this idea of full speech and speech, and that's kind of what Pete has. Is like the things that he says, they they kind of hit you, and you kind of feel them. So, and so when he's talking, when they do that other thing where they talk about the, um, they do the small talk thing where um, Pete does that thing about, you know, oh, I see that they've had a baby and blah, blah, blah. And it, and he does it in such a cold way where it's like, oh, it sounds like he means it. And then he actually doesn't. He's just trying to just doing the rehearsals mm. or something. Um, I think that's kind of what, Freddie, like again, like Freddie does that. Freddie, that's how Freddie lives his life. Is like in a very, in a very empty way where he doesn't mean what he says and just and just kind of goes along with things because it seems to work out. And I think, and this is the interesting thing about Pete in the show. Like you know, you keep saying like you really like Pete, even though you hate his guts and stuff. Yeah, I think it's because he's this real. He's it's, he's he'll say whatever he thinks. Because he doesn't care what people think about him, and it. And but also- he. Do, but I don't agree with that necessarily. I think he just thinks the world that everyone should see the world the same way he does. Right. Okay. Okay. And I think he's just he's a very egotistical character. Yeah. So do I. <laughs> and um, you know, in the in the sense, I like his authenticity in that he isn't a like he doesn't lie about not you know his disgust. Like yeah. it would be very easy to be like. Oh, it's okay, you know. Oh, it was sorted out. Blah, blah blah. He's very obviously like this is like the rest of them when they approach him and they're all like nicey nicey about yeah. it and yeah. like, all this sort of stuff. Yeah. And it's like Pete's just like it's fucking disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it's totally, disgraceful. Yeah. Like you shouldn't behave like that at work. Yeah, exactly. Even though you know, ten episodes ago, bloody Roger was puking up in front of the yeah, execs yeah. of some big company, <laughs> and it's like that was fine, but well, losing it- yourself is it's actually interesting you say that so again i'm talking about like back to the whole so that thing where don was throwing up it's 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 a similar thing to this where 
there's this feeling, this kind of um, internal feeling. I think it was Roger at that point where he throws up because he has this feeling within him and he doesn't know how to deal with it and it comes out through puke. And obviously I've talked about empty speech, like empty speech and and, 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 and full speech. And full speech is really like, you know, when, you, you, when you're being honest about stuff, it makes you feel better. It's like what I was talking about the therapist. Mm. When you're being honest, you're letting stuff out. You're sort of putting stuff out there. But when you kind of like keep all that stuff in, it's going to come out some other way. In Freddie's um, case, it comes out in terms of him drinking a lot mm. and then pissing himself, like literally coming out. <laughs> and with um, with the girls like crying about, um, uh, crying about um, Marilyn Monroe, it comes out in the tears and the emotion and all that kind of stuff. And I, and, and I think this is why I was interested in the, the laughter with the guys who kind of like hide all their feelings. It's coming out in this kind of like tragic kind of like laughter with that awkward sort of laughter thing. There is another thing with the Marilyn Monroe thing actually that we haven't mentioned. What's that? So you know the bit right at the beginning. Are we going to talk about the bit right at the beginning with the girls all crying in the office? We are, yeah, but okay. we can we can talk about it now. I mean, do we want to ruin the schedule? No, we, we, it doesn't matter. <laughs> we can talk. Well, can come back it's to it. really interesting what that one lady says who's always been in it, but I still don't know what her name Hildy. is. Hildy. Hildy. Yeah. Her. Yes. She's like, I never even take pills, not yeah. even when I have a headache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. And it's like, they clearly believed that it was an accident. Yeah, And yeah. the whole thing, I guess that's the thing, is it is it? I don't want to say suicide, but is it accident or is it intentional? Yeah, exactly. And that's the whole thing throughout the whole episode, though, isn't it? Yeah. I think here it's a genuine accident. I think Freddie has an accident. But this is the point. Does he have an accident? Yes, he does have an accident. But does he have an accident? In, in like, because what I because we talk about like how I know what you're getting at hmm. in terms of like. Eventually, he needed to he needed to go. So this is his way of like getting into trouble enough that he will be pushed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. Okay, fair enough. But at the same time, I don't, I don't think that he he wants it. I don't think it's strong enough to say it was an intentional thing for him to do. Right. Okay. I think the drinking. I think it was the consequence of his escapism. Right. Okay. Rather than a driving yeah. force. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Um. So you know, I f- and I feel like him then passing out and stuff, and and his whole. I mean, I don't know. I haven't got my schedule open. I don't know what's film. What scene we're talking about next? <laughs> we're talking about. We're going to talk about them, them talking about firing him. Okay. Well then. Yeah. I mean, I. I don't know. I feel like it's a shocking scene anyway because I feel like there's a lot of. What do we do? How do we cope without him? Actually, we can make a plan and cope without him. Actually, we don't need him. Yeah. And then, and then, Beth, and then, Peggy going outside and being like trying to cover for him. Well, that's another thing, isn't it? So, another big part of that scene, and now we'll move on in a bit. But another big part of that scene is the idea that they're trying to hide it from everyone, and they're not talk. They don't want to talk about it. And like through the whole episode there's this whole thing about talking about your feelings and again speech and sort of like how helpful that is but if you try and hide that it can kind of um it can hinder your sort of your growth or moving on from things and like the final thing that betty uh peggy peggy (laughs) that peggy says is um she says to the secretary can i speak to you for a minute 
And it kind of brings in that whole idea of rules, right? So you've got like the idea of speech, which is one thing. And the, but the, the fact that they add the minute on there as well is kind mm. of like, you know, it's this idea of time and like how it confines you and all that kind of stuff. That's, I think that's pretty cool. Then we, I guess we should mention the fact that Freddy wakes up as well. Freddy does the same thing that a lot of other characters have done. It's like in terms of like lying down and waking up and then sort of squelches his way out of the office. He squelches his way out of the office. But I do think that is, I think that's him sort of waking up to the fact that, oh shit, I fucked up. Yeah. Well, yeah. But I think that's the point. Like all the characters that wake up kind of realize something. They kind of realize, oh shit, this has gone too far or oh shit. Like, I think, for instance, when um, Joan wakes up um, with, we probably shouldn't cover it now, but fuck it. Um, When Joan wakes up and uh, Roger walks in, um, I think she kind of realizes how much of a douchebag Roger is for the first time. Yeah. (laughs) And um, I think when, uh, like I said, when when, um, uh, Betty wakes up, she realizes how she's being used by, um, by Sarah Beth. Um, and I guess we'll get to the other people that wake up um, as we go on. Um, but let's talk about them firing, firing Freddy. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, like I say, a little dig at Pete. He's obviously only done this because the pitch went so well. Like had, and that's what's interesting I think about this episode, is had the pitch not gone well, yeah. Freddy would still be needed. Yeah, but because they did it fine without him, it's what what he in Pete's mind what he did is disgraceful because they managed without him. <laughs> yeah, However, it possibly he probably wouldn't have mentioned it if the if the pitch because then Freddie would have had to say something. Yeah, and, yeah. So I think there's a there's a political and the reason that ducks there is political as well because it's kind of like he's chosen to go to the person that's going to back him. Well, well, this is it. So I think this the big part of this scene is the fact that Pete and Duck are there together and yeah. they're sort of a unit. And I think I think Don is kind of really surprised by that because mm. I think you know, like there's a lot of there's a there's talk about um, when when Pete's telling Don is it Pete? I can't remember. I can't remember if it's Pete or Duck, but one of them mentions the fact that they were trying to launch part launch pad this thing, um, this. Um, uh, what's it called? This uh, this Samsonite um, ad advert, and and uh, Fred and Freddie Rumston pissed himself, right? <laughs> but the the fact they right. use the fact that they use um, the term launchpad reminds me of um, Flight One, which is another episode. <laughs> but in that episode, that episode is all about fathers and father figures and all that kind of stuff, and 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 wait. And so he's with his father. He's with a he's father with, figure. He's with, he's with a father figure, which means that it's related to that episode. <laughs> Am I right? Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like the the fact that, but it, it just kind of like <laughs> it just kind of nails the fact that um yeah that their father they, that that nails it. That, yeah. Absolutely nailed that, guys. You put me off. Great job. You put me off. It just kind of nails the fact that um, it just highlights the fact that um, that Don Don thought he was a father figure to Pete, and he isn't. Uh, And um, 
And then... God did not think he was a father figure to Pete. I think he did. No. Well, he did. Like, that's the whole point. Like that. No, Dom thought he was a little shit. No, he doesn't like him, but he does think that he... Look, Don's ego tells Don... Tells Don that, like... Um, uh, Pete loves you and thinks you're amazing. And you yeah, but I wouldn't you. say I would agree. Yeah. But I wouldn't say that he thought of as he thought Pete thought he was a father figure. Okay, fair enough. Maybe father figures are too I feel strong. Like, a word. I feel like there's, but, that's too far. But I would say that he, I imagine that Don um, thinks that Pete likes him more than he likes Doc. Yeah, that that I would agree with. Right. Okay. Good. <laughs> um. um and then on the one hand you see sort of don's reaction to pete and duck but then on the other hand you see don's reaction to roger and roger's kind of like in charge roger's the one roger's like the the one who's pulling the strings there and so don's kind of like in the middle where he doesn't really have anyone like he's really i don't want to say I don't want to say Roger's bitch, but like he kind of is. And it, it, it does that that line like lo- your loyalty is a liability, mm. and I think that's kind of true. It's like Don's like Don's um uh loyalty towards Roger is kind of it's it's un- it's his undoing in a way. But also his loyalty to Freddie is the same. And also his loyalty to Betty is the same. Like, if he didn't have any loyalty to any of those people, he wouldn't have any of the problems. And everyone <laughs> could just get on with their lives. But instead, no. We should talk about the um, the speakeasy fart. Yeah, we? we should talk about the dinner and the speakeasy. So they take him out for a nice dinner late on. Look, you know, you've got to go six months, full pay, go and dry out. And he's like, is it really that bad? Come on. And they're just sort of like, no, you know, think of it as paid vacation or whatever and he's like what am i gonna tell oh no well wait later. wait that that comes later yeah so the the first part is they they go to lunch they go to to dinner and they're all sitting in dinner is it lin is it lunch or is it dinner i think it's dinner because they go out to for the casino afterwards and it's dark okay okay i mean it would be really long time really weird for them to have lunch and then go to a casino yeah yeah uh, anyway so they're so the, this is when they explain to him that that they're gonna give him six months leave, but then you know Freddie kind of I don't know Freddie he doesn't really fight for a job but he just plead for it doesn't he in a, in a kind of way so he wants he want actually no he doesn't really plead for it does he I think he's he, he's obviously doesn't want to leave but at the same time he doesn't really but he I doesn't think, get angry basically but but that's why I think this is this these scenes with him are really key. And I think it's that whole thing of that he's clearly been at Sterling Cooper for a really long time because him and, um, oh God, Roger have that exchange about like his dad or like Roger's dad. And I'm like, how old is bloody Freddie? Because <laughs> yeah. then, you know, he's been in well, the this... Second World War and like, all this kind of stuff. So, I mean, obviously, even though him and Roger don't look that different in age, um, you know, clearly there is like a, uh, he's been at the company, he's part of the furniture. Yeah. And I think the fear... He is part of the furniture. Well, the thing is, I think the thing for him is I don't think he necessarily loves his job. No, no. He just doesn't know who he is without it. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's the thing is it's almost that it's exactly what Don says about Betty. It's that whole thing of like, he doesn't want to be married to Betty, but he doesn't know where he'd be without it. Oh, that's a very good point. Yeah. And it's like, it's that whole thing of how we 
define ourselves what's that whole thing of what's on the outside versus what's on the inside i mean the fact that he's drinking yes he mentioned maybe he's got some family issues but maybe he's just really unhappy at work because he's not doing well that's yeah that something as well. that he wants to do definitely anymore. that's 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 there as well and, and and the fact that he um yeah it's like what it's like what i was saying about how people there are people that get to do what they want and then there are people that follow those people that aren't doing what they want they're just doing what the other person wants Mm -hmm. and I think um, Freddie is one of those people that just kind of gets used um, gets used in the service of others Um, I think well he's just he's just a fade into the background character isn't he I mean yes he's liked but we don't know a whole lot about him no because he... he's just there. He's just a person who's who we've seen him in a few scenes, but I couldn't, off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you any other big scenes that he's been in. There's a really cool little exchange, or little, little thing, that, little story that he tells um, in that um, at that dinner, and he talks about how his dad would sort of come home with a map and say, "Let's go and live in Memphis," uh, and he then he then says, um, "We've only been in like Springfield for." For, you know nine months I want to stay here and I was looking up Memphis and Springfield and Memphis is this town or this city is it, I don't even know is it a town or a city it's a city so Memphis is this city that's kind of like brimming with life there's loads of stories about it so mm. like all this music it's got all this culture it's this like individual kind of brustling place this kind of like you know bursting with energy and stuff and you know you know what Springfield is no. Springfield is the name of 35 towns and cities in America. Mm-hmm. It's the most, it's the reason why the Simpsons live in Springfield. Yeah. Because it's such a generic name, it could be anywhere <laughs> in America. It's such a generic, bland name, almost, you know, like Freddie in a way. Somebody keeps his head down, doesn't make too much of a noise, just gets on with it, and it's quiet. At the same time, he's not himself. He's not living his fullest life. He's not making a nuisance of himself, and so he's not like Pete, basically. Yeah. Um, so, alright, let's let's talk about the speakeasy because I yeah, I, let's talk about that and the, and the very tragic taxi scene. Um, I, I love. So, okay, so I want to talk about the beginning first, like the very first. Of them going in the bouncer being there. Yeah. Because... Why they, where did they get hats from? Did they I... have hats on before? <laughs> I don't know. And they're just all of a sudden dressed like gangsters, like trying to get into this like speakeasy. I'm sure there's an explanation for it, but um, it's called the speakeasy. Yeah, I, I do remember. It's because it's like illegal, isn't it? And it's, it's spe- underground. But the speech thing. Ah, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess it's easy. And um, what, what's really cool is, like, when, when the scene first starts, um, Roger... So I think, this, I think this whole first scene is... A lot of it is to do with um, friends and how we need friends and how friends can help us and stuff. Mm-hmm. So when it comes... When, when, when the scene starts, um, Roger goes, uh, give me $5. And he goes, not you. And he goes over to, to, to Don to get the $5 from Don. And he gives it to, he gives it to the, um, he gives it to the bouncer. And he says the password as he, as he gives it to him. And the bouncer says, um, who are you here to see? Yeah. And Roger's really pissed off. Cause it's like, I just gave you $5. And it's like, there's something about the fact that he, used his words like he used his knowledge of the password like swordfish yeah to get to uh, and at the same time used money to get into this thing but the guy wouldn't let them in and the thing the only thing that he would 
the only question he asked was who do you know as in like who's your friend like and to me that's kind of like this idea of how you can have all the money in the world you can have all the knowledge in the world you know if let's say for instance you're a big major film star but if you don't have someone you love in the world it doesn't really matter do you, does that make sense? No. Well, I, it makes sense, but I just did not get that. <laughs> okay, that's right. I thought what happened was he he was showing off. Right. And he gave him, he was like tipping the bouncer to like let them in. Yeah. With the first password. But then who you're here to see was like the second password. Because doesn't he say like it's Milwaukee or something? Milwaukee. Which is the name of a state. Yeah. And um, so, and also uh, to that point. Um, the is first... it a state or is it a town? Ta- is it a city? It's somewhere in America. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a city. I think it's a city. Um, but I, um, to that point, um, the first password that he used is swordfish. So I was looking up swordfish, trying to work out why does he say swordfish. Mm. It's, it's, it's used in a film. It's like a homage to a film. But also, swordfishes. Uh, a very solitary solitary fish they don't school Jesus Fola but then again and then you've also got Milwaukee right again Milwaukee's a town which is made up of all like literally you can look it up on Wikipedia it's like uh, Milwaukee's a town that's made up of all these different um, nationalities it's kind of like it's it's big with um, Native Americans but there's all kinds of other nationalities there it's basically a brimming another sort of town brimming with lots of different types of people and it's interesting that well. the, it's interesting that the password that doesn't work is this fish that swims alone, and the password that does work is this um, town that's brimming full of all these people. And I like the fact that he says "son of a bitch" as it goes down because obviously a son of a bitch is someone who isn't very popular and doesn't have many friends. Thank you for clarifying what son of a bitch is. <laughs> Quote of the day, everyone. But we, we can't move on from this scene until we've talked about Tilden Cats. So, I, do you know what? I didn't know what that was. Okay. And What's it, what is it? Tilden Cats is the name of the guy that um, uh, Rachel married. You know, when, when yeah. they were at the restaurant. So why why was he brought up? Because, okay, so basically it's on Don's mind. But to me, like I said, this scene's about people you know. And oh, because they're asking what the names are, aren't they? And yeah, he yeah. gives them the name. Right, okay, yeah, but I'm the, with you. But the names that he gives, he gives three different names, right? It's like, yeah, it's like Donnie Dollar and whatever, is Donnie it? Dollars, um, something, Michael Moneybags or something. Yeah, like. yeah. <clears throat> but it's interesting that the two, that Roger and... Um, Freddie. Uh, Freddie's nicknames are sort of money-based names. And the one that... Don uses is the one that um, is the name of the woman of the the man that his ex girlfriend married, and it's just the priorities. So the priorities for the first two are like money and stuff, but the priorities for Don is this kind of that's all that he wants. That's all that that can make him happy. That's 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 what he needs in his life. That's okay. what I prefer. <laughs> I mean, I just thought it was a funny name, <laughs> but all right. Um, I wouldn't have got that if you hadn't told me that it was the name of Rachel's husband. I wouldn't have got it if I didn't stare at the screen for <laughs> hours on end as well. Uh, so then they go into the speakeasy. Um, the first thing that happens when they go into the speakeasy is... They order some drinks, don't they? they well, can... no. The very first thing that happens is Freddie 
Freddy runs up. Freddy gets really excited and goes, "Ooh, chuck a luck," uh, which is a game. Okay. Um, like a sort of uh, gambling sort of game. It's but a card game, right? It's a card game, yeah. yeah. But the the specific thing about it is it involves a big gold cage. Okay. So, you know, like the gold cage that um, the bird was in in Babylon. Um, I think that's because, and I'll go into this in a bit more detail later, um, I, I think um, Freddy's being used, basically. And he's being he's in a role that he doesn't even know that he's in and that's one of the reasons why he's so depressed i mean we know that from his job anyway but i think specifically on this night out he's not there just because they want to give him a good time but we'll talk about that in a minute um then there's the, the three cocktails that they have yeah something something and then a grandfather some uh, on the rocks i think he says but i don't remember what he said for the other two yeah so the um the, the three drinks are um the canadian club neat mm-hmm. for don uh wolf schmitz gibson for roger and a granddad rocks for our granddad on the rocks for freddie and the can so i'll start with freddie so the the granddad on the rocks I'm ready. I'm ready for this. (laughs) The Grand of the Rocks. (laughs) You're going to translate these drinks into like philosophy right now. Can't wait. So the Grand of the Rocks is this old, so it's an old whiskey, right? It's an actual whiskey. Is it? Yeah. And it's, it's basically, it was invented in 1840 and has never changed its whole time. Like it's still being sold now, right? Um, Which is a bit like Freddy Freddy. That's pretty cool. I want to get some. That sounds... That's really cool. Granddad on the rocks. <laughs> Freddie and like, you know, Freddie's kind of like pretty consistent. He just does what, he never changes. He never kind of like, you never get angry. He's just kind of consistent. And you got the Wolf, the Wolf Schmitz Gibson, which is what Roger had. That's basically, it's basically a martini. Right. Um, but instead of um, an olive, they've just put an onion in it. That's gross. <laughs> Why would you order that? <laughs> again, it doesn't. It doesn't really change. It is what it is. It's just fancier than a, than an old the granddad. The weird thing about the the Canadian Club Neat, which is what Don has, is it was created by this guy called Hiram Walker. Hiram Walker, sorry, uh, and he ba- and he basically to make this whiskey, this guy it initially started off as a vinegar, and then it was changed to a whiskey. And then this guy who's making it in America kind of had to change where he made it from. He moved to Canada to make it. In the process of making it in Canada, he ended up founding a town. Uh, and then when he found it, and then so they, this, this whole thing became really successful. But this guy had to continually change, you know, how he did it and his process and everything mm. to make this thing successful. Um, and that's kind of like what Don does. He's constantly reinventing himself. Jesus. <laughs> you know what? I feel like sometimes Matthew Weiner just goes that little bit too far. Do you know what I mean? When you're like, you put that much thought into what each yeah. of the characters drinks. I think, Do you know yeah, what I mean? Attention to detail. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's really interesting. I mean, that, but that's the thing. And even then, and you know, as he's gambling at that table, those two are having that conversation. Yeah. And as you said, is there an alternative motive for this night out? Yes, Roger clearly wants to bend 
Dom's ear about something. Yes, yeah. And um, it's like Freddie just becomes the excuse to get him out. Exactly. Yeah. Um, the um, so when they are talking, um, the first thing that uh, Roger says to Don is like, you know, you bet badly, and he talks about how, you know, if you if you're winning, you should sort of stretch out and yeah, do yeah. different do things. Do more. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's that you always bet the same. Yeah, you always bet the same. So again, it's that thing of like how. Um, you know, if you, if you are from a underprivileged kind of place, if you get to a certain point, you're going to, you know, let's say um, uh, Freddie, we don't know much about Freddie's background, but let's say Freddie's from a really poor background and he's like working in this massive company and making loads of money. He's not going to risk that to kind of go and live his best life. He's making money for the first time in his life. That's kind of what... And the, and, and but there's there's a thing there's a much deeper thing there as someone who's recently gone through it who, who's recently left a massive corporation after 12 years <laughs> and I was on a pretty good salary um, you know and I think there is an element of being comfortable yeah and that's what that is is it's that whole thing of like you almost stop needing you get to a certain point and you almost need to stop you almost don't want to take that risk because yeah. you sort of like you've gotten really comfortable where you are and you don't know if anyone else is ever going to pay you that much money or exactly that's you what know, I'm yeah. yeah and I think that's that's kind of what that's about yeah totally and it's like with with Don he's sort of like secretly a little bit anxious that he's going to be but Roger doesn't to where have, he was Roger doesn't have that Roger's very obviously from money and he and he's but he does Go he on. does um, because he basically he that whole conversation is basically Roger wants to leave his wife and he wants Don to give him the yeah, reason it, to do it. It is, it is, but it's like this is the, so. The, I think this scene kind of, I think actually it really sort of goes into a lot of detail about what's going on in the background or, or what's you know what the meta is because. The, it starts off with him saying, you know, you bet badly and you kind of, you should risk stuff and all this kind of stuff, right? Don, Don says to um, to Roger, you're so if you're so good at this, why don't you quit your job? Obviously, Roger's not going to quit his job. He, he's got this kind of, he knows that he can't, that he, he knows that he wants to take a risk, but at the same time, he wants to, he doesn't want to put himself out there on blast. He doesn't want to get sort of, he doesn't want to, go all out but that and that's exactly right is it's like there's a big difference between leaving your wife and leaving your wife and falling straight into the arms of another woman it's very difficult it's very it's a very different situation um because and that's why don says you know it would be oh no we're skipping forward to like the next scene but (laughs) You know, Don says, oh, it'd be easier if I was in love because I'd have a reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because our natural state is we do this for this reason and that's how things should be. And, you know, it's kind of like, is that, it's exactly the same as being comfortable in a job. You get comfortable in a marriage. This is how things should be. Yeah. I don't have to take a risk because I can have the best of both mm. until it gets to the point where you really want, you get to almost like Roger's got to the point where he wants to change his life. We were talking earlier about the girl in the green dress. Yeah, let's talk about that bloody girl. <laughs> what is that about? Tell me. So they, um, so they're sitting there talking and they're, they're having this conversation, which is like you know Loki about sort of risk and sort of risking it all. And stuff, yeah. Right. Um, he talks about quitting his job, 
Um, and then we get this, uh, we get this laugh from Freddie, and Freddie's kind of like laughing as it, like, you know, at the same time as um, Rogers asked about leaving his job. Um, and then this this lady comes out of nowhere, um, and she says, "Hello there, are we winners or losers?" And Roger says, "We're winners normally, but losers tonight." Yeah. And that to me is, I, I think it's pretty self-explanatory, but that's like, that's code for like, if any, <laughs> if um, any normal time, I'd totally be all over you, but tonight I can't be. That's how I took it. So okay. We've got to assume that this woman is a sex worker. And so Roger's basically turned it down. But the reason he's turning it down is because... I think the reason he's turning it down is because Don's right there in front of him. And if Don sees him um, with this woman, that's his business out there. It's not that Don's necessarily going to tell anyone. <laughs> Go on. Go See, on. I don't know. I Go don't on. know. I mean, I took that again in the context of this relationship to the point where we haven't had the super deep conversation in the like really messy bar that they go to next yeah, yeah. Um, when they were talking about this I think I thought he was actually talking about money to be honest like quite frankly he was talking about money he was saying we're, we're losers tonight we've lost money tonight oh, we okay. win it in general but they weren't because he clearly won lots of money well I mean I don't I don't focus that hard <laughs> <laughs> But I just, I don't know. And I feel like there's off, losing Freddie as well, losing, yeah, yeah. you know. I can see how that would... Yeah, I didn't that. I didn't put that together. I felt that he didn't... He, I think he... I don't know. Because, I mean, knowing what you know by the end of the episode, you yeah. could say, is he actually in love with Jane? Well, okay, so let's, let's stay with that scene for a second because we haven't finished with it. So the reason, one of the reasons I said that um, that Don, that Roger meant that when he meant what he meant when he said that was because the weird thing about the scene isn't just, isn't just that this woman appears out of nowhere. It's the fact that when he says that to her, they go back to their conversation, and then they have this weird conversation about this black kid or the coloured kid uh, that was hired by this um, company BBDO. Oh yeah, um, and. He so and, and Roger says, "What do you think about that?" And and Don says, "I don't want to. Be, I think I don't want to be the. I think I don't want to be that kid, because if you think about it, the kid he's basically breaking a rule, uh, an unwritten rule at the time of sort of working at this advertising company, mm. which is like full of all these white people, and it's just kind of it's a very sort of a certain type of culture, and he's being thrown into this. This this little black kid would be thrown into this, and would have to deal with it and have to sort of." And would have like constant pressure on him and constant scrutiny. And I think the, the, the parallel is that Roger is talking to this woman. And in order for Roger to sleep with this woman, he'd have to break the law. He'd have to break the law of the, of the vows that he's made to his wife. And not and there's nothing wrong with it. obviously Roger's done this a lot like yeah know I mean Don knows he's we, a serial cheater well, we, well there's an idea we don't know that for oh, sure oh I mean and come on yeah but they don't this, this is the point this, this, I think this is the whole point of this scene is the fact that Roger is here trying to get Don to talk about the affairs that he's had and that 
you know, all the bad things that he's done so that Roger can then talk about the affairs that he's having and then, you know, they can have a real conversation about this stuff. They've never done this before. Don doesn't talk. Don's very sort of insular and still keeps himself to himself. Mm. And he's trying to get him to sort of be a human being and talk to him about stuff. And that's why when this woman comes over, nobody really wants to go for it because they're kind of like, uh, I'm, I'm, hey, I never do that kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? There's... I don't know. I think the woman, like having just come up with this theory in the last three minutes, <laughs> yeah. I think the woman could be Freddie. Not in the sense that he's got changed, but okay. she comes over, she's like wants to be involved in the conversation. That's why she's just hanging around. Okay. And eventually Roger looks at her and just says, do you, do you want a drink or something? Right, yeah, yeah. And it's almost that way of like placating people who want to be part of something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, and using drink as a way, I don't know. I mean, that's, I think I found that really bizarre, that whole, that whole like her just hanging around. Yeah. Because I mean, if you were, I'm sorry, but if you were a sex worker. Yeah. And someone was showing that little interest in you, you probably, <laughs> I mean, there was a speakeasy full of, rich men eligible bachelors so why would she just hang around and i think she possibly might not have been a sex worker and she just genuinely wanted to talk to them and feel involved in a conversation maybe she was lonely maybe she was marilyn but you know i think there's a whole bunch of you know we think oh this person i don't need this person in my life right now yeah but actually so actually i'm gonna you know do you want a drink or just (laughs) bugger off kind of thing um so I don't know, I feel like that encounter was really, really strange, but I think it was almost a reminder, a little bit, because I mean, they've abandoned Freddie. Freddie's like at the blackjack table, table or whatever. Yeah. Um, Freddie's off doing, Freddie's off enjoying himself, I guess. Um, yeah, you, well, you suppose that, but he's not included in this conversation. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting theory. I'm sticking with my own though. All right, that's fine. You can't agree on everything. It would be really boring if we did. So, um, yeah, it's just the fact that he says I don't. Want, I, I'm. I'm glad I'm not that kid. It's just kind of, yeah, freaks me out a bit. Um, <laughs> I, I really, I really like this um, when Don sees um, Jimmy at the table, and he goes down, and Jimmy says to him, "Oh, it's the man in the grey flannel shirt or the grey flannel suit, right?" The Man in the Grey Final Suit is a book that came out in the 50s, I think. And what's interesting about it is it involves this guy in a Grey Final Suit. And the Grey Final Suit, I'm not even going through the the, the, the plot of the, the of the thing is very, very, it has loads of parallels with, um, with Mad Men. It's like, it's about a guy, you know, who's got trauma and t- cheats on his wife and has a boss that kind of really likes him and stuff like that. It's like loads and loads of stuff. But what, what I think is really interesting is the fact that the suit is supposed to be uh, a metaphor for American society, right? Okay. And you know, I was talking about how, I, you know, I'm, I'm in this episode, I've said like one of the things for me is this idea that um, you sort of die, you sort of lose everything and you sort of gain it back and you lose everything. And it's like this, this ongoing revolution of sort of like, you know, building yourself up and knocking yourself down and stuff. So keeping in mind that the suit is um, American sort of society. And then we've got Jimmy, who's got everything he wants. He literally said it in the other episode, he's got everything he wants. Then Don, in the suit, goes over to him and knocks him out. And then he gets back up again. 
It's like a total metaphor for the episode. Yeah. <laughs> he even gets up and then he sees, um, what's his name? Um, Floyd Patterson, who's the champion. Uh, and says, how did I do, kind of like... <laughs> yeah. And, um, and Floyd Patterson has his own story. Floyd Patterson was the first heavyweight to regain his championship. So that's another thing of like getting knocked down and sort of regaining your thing. Jay's Louise. <laughs> so, Freddie's goodbye broke my heart a little bit. Yeah. They get him um, in the cab. Yeah. So that this is, again, this is like, to me, this felt like a death, right? Yes. It felt like he was dying. My biggest point that I want to make about this scene okay. is the fact that Freddie says, what am I going to tell Violet? Yeah. It's funny that they used the name of his wife, right? Yeah. Because we've never met his wife. Mm-hmm. But his name, his wife's name is Violet. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was talking about how I think that um, uh, Freddie is a father figure to Don in a, in, a, in a weird kind of way. So the only other time the term Violet's been used in the, ep- in the show is in that scene when Don was talking to his son. They talk about the Violet, the Violet sweetie things. Oh my God. Did you remember that or did you look it up? No, I knew that. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. Um, and what does that kid say to his dad at the end of the scene? He says, we're going to have to find you a new daddy. <sighs> I mean, I, I, you know, I've got to give that one to you. That's pretty. That's pretty smart. Um, and I think that's the big sort of relationship that those two have. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was where the whole thing fell apart, and the audio corrupted, and I lost an hour's worth of work like an hour of good stuff as well it's not like it's not bad i don't really want to get helen back into this to kind of do all this again one because it's unfair to ask her to keep coming back and doing the same thing over and over again and two because she'll kill me so um it's going to be an interesting conversation when i tell her what happened it's really a shame because we had so much stuff to say about peggy and just little things in the episode. I don't know if the blood drive made it to the final edit of this one. The the laughter at Don. The fact that um, Don's trying to defend um, Freddy, but really he's just defending his own insecurities and the fact that people are laughing at someone who is being humiliated. And it really just reflects on how he feels about himself and the fear he has of this secret of him being separated from his wife. Uh, coming out and him being humiliated even more by that we didn't get a chance to talk talk about that and we also didn't get a chance to talk about Peggy who's one of the most important characters in the episode so I'm just going to go through it now one of the great things about the show and and Peggy's storyline is she's not in the episode that much Um, we only really see her at the end when she gets uh, promoted um, there's lots to say about that promotion. Um, one of the great things is the way Don shakes her hand is like the way he shook her hand at the end of the last season, like in the wheel. And um, in that scene, in that when she does it in that scene, um, there's all those people around her, you know, all her friends, well, not friends, but colleagues, all the male colleagues and like 
everyone's happy for her and cheering and stuff and um and, and pete gets really humiliated and stuff and uh and she 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 laps it up and my my theory is that's kind of what she wants again like there's something in this episode about um repeating the same thing and doing the same thing and trying to get um satisfaction from doing the same thing over and over again you know like um like freddie does um but it not really working out you know the you know chasing the dragon it doesn't really pay off in the same way it's diminishing returns is what i'm looking for yeah I really think the end of the episode as well, um, specifically with um, uh, Peggy's story, is is really about empathy and how empathy goes up against ego and, and how the two kind of are at odds with each other, really. I know I keep, I was talking to Helen about men and their feminine sides. And at the beginning of this episode, we see Peggy being pretty cold-hearted when compared to the other women in the office to the death of Marilyn Monroe and to me that's like her trying to show her masculine side maybe and it's interesting at the end of this at the end of the, of the episode how I think that kind of blows up in her face really it doesn't quite go the way she wanted it to when she gets the the job and she shakes Don's hand, she storms out of Don's office and goes on the warpath looking for Pete and barges into his office. I was talking to Helen about the episode Nixon versus Kennedy, how at the end of that episode, there's a lot of characters bursting into other people's offices. So, and obviously in that episode, there's the the line that, that Cooper says that a man is whatever room he's standing in. And... I didn't realize how in that episode Don bursts into Pete's office and Pete bursts into Don's office and those two characters at the time they want they kind of wanted to be each other so like Don wanted to be this bluebird sort of like well-to-do um, native New Yorker sort of thing like you know with all the family and the prestige and all that stuff that Pete has and uh, Pete wanted to be cool and sort of you know just like alpha male as Don is and sort of like really not really knowing the real truth behind each other um and the two of them to burst into um Cooper's office and Cooper of course is the big boss and everybody wants to be the big boss um there's others as well like um you know I think Don bursts into Rachel's office at one point but anyway that's that's besides the point um what's really interesting is in this episode um Peggy bursts into um, Pete's office and to me that's kind of like I don't think Peggy's ever said it but I feel like you know with with all the animosity that's going on between her and Pete I genuinely think that she thought she would have a some sort of she her sort of goal in some sort of ways to humiliate Pete again and take something away from Pete with her promotion and she didn't get that um, and I think that's kind of why she's a bit pissed off. Well, I say a bit pissed off, absolutely fuming. We can't forget that Pete's lying down when she comes in. So it's it's another character that gets woken up, uh, gets disturbed. The same thing happens to um, four other characters in this episode. It happens to um, Betty when um, Sarah Beth comes around to visit her. It happens to Joan when Roger comes back to his own office and sees Joan lying there. Happens to Freddie, who just gets up on his own. 
uh, happens to Pete, as we said, and it's going to happen to Don, which we'll talk about in a second. What's really interesting about it as well, that I, I find interesting, is that all those characters, the people that barge in on them, it's like what I was saying about Nixon versus Kennedy. Um, they all seem to have an interesting dynamic with the person that barges in on them. So Sarah Beth has this weird relationship with Betty where I think Sarah Beth kind of secretly, you know, as with most people in the show, most women on the show, Sarah Beth secretly wants Betty's life. And um, Peggy wants to be, well, she wants to be in that position of power that Pete has. Um, it's interesting with Joan, the fact that Joan, that, well, I don't think Roger wants to be Joan, but then Joan is in Roger's office. So it's kind of reversed in that Joan's already in there. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm taking it too far now. Um, also Freddie kind of, nobody wakes Freddie up. He just wakes up on his own. Nobody wants to be Freddy. But the waking up is interesting because all the characters that do wake up in this episode, those f five different characters, um, Betty, Joan, Freddy, Pete, and Don, they all seem to um, wake up from something. So it's almost like they're waking up to some sort of truth. So Betty wakes up to the truth that um, Sarah Beth is just using her. And Joan wakes up to the truth that... Um, um, Roger is a bit of a dick um, and Freddie wakes up to the truth that he needs to sort his life out because he's just pissed in the office and everybody will know about it and he's about to lose his job I mean he doesn't know he's about to lose his job but he's definitely aware that people are aware that he has a problem um, and Pete um, wakes up to the fact that uh, he's in control and he has all the power when Peggy bursts into the office we see this shot of Hildy kind of tries to stop her. And, you know, I've got this thing about numbers that I was telling Helen about. Peggy tells Hildy in a minute and she's like really sort of stern about it. So, you know, like kind of that, that whole thing about rules kind of comes up. But um, what I really like about the fact that Hildy's in this shot is really the two characters that we know of in the office, apart from Joan as well, maybe. But she, I guess she's a special case. Um the two characters that we know that have slept with uh, guys in the office and haven't really benefited from it in any way. You know, Hildy, Hildy's still got her same job and Peggy never really told anyone about what happened happened with, with, with Pete. Um, these two characters have kind of, they've kept this secret. They haven't really told anyone about it at all. At the beginning of the episode, we see Hildy crying with all the secretaries about Marilyn Monroe. And Hildy's saying, um, I don't, I never even take headache tablets when I've got a headache. And to me, it kind of illustrates how Hildy and people like Hildy and like even Peggy to a degree are quite not happy, but they're, they're the kind of characters that won't try and relieve the pain if something's gone wrong. And I think the big thing in this episode is the fact that relieving pain uh, excitation in in other words is the, the way to do that is is through speech is through talking is through getting stuff out there and telling people stuff uh, and if you hold it in it'll come out in other ways like i don't know pissing your pants or um punching someone in the in the face in a in a bar or sort of trying to ruin your friends lives because you can't deal with their emotional problems and you want to 
<laughs> you just want to destroy things for them. Um, I think that's what Peggy's coming to terms with now in this scene. Because on the flip side, we've got um, Pete, who is quite happy to talk and tell everybody everything and tell on Freddie and be disgusted and, and use his full speech and get stuff out there. And because of that, because of the way, you know, the corporate business works, the whole empathy thing and sort of keeping secrets and looking after and, and well, thinking you're looking after people, I guess. Um, and, you know, the softly, softly approach doesn't work. It, I, I don't think it works in general, really. I think, you know, you kind of have to be quite honest with people. Um, obviously, it'll hurt in the in the short term but in the long term i think everyone benefits from a little bit of honesty um because we see like pete now pete is pete is now um basically in a lot of control because he's managed to get um peggy this job and i don't know if anyone else has noticed it but in this show especially this episode there's a lot of people touching other people's arms and elbows and stuff and I think it started back way back in like maybe even ladies room or something where a character a dominant character will touch a submissive character on the arm and it kind of signifies that you know the dominant character is in control and at the end of this scene um, Pete kind of puts his arm on Peggy's shoulder it also happens when Roger punches Don in the arm earlier on in this in the episode and i think it might happen in other places as well oh it happens when don i think don puts his arm on um on freddy uh when he's saying goodbye to him so it's all the way through the episode and others it's hard to know where the stance is that the show takes the show generally tends to be on the in the middle of things and allow you to make your own mind up about certain situations but i think when it comes to, I don't know, toughness in the office or kind of um, honesty, I guess, is probably the thing. Oh, no, actually, no, toughness. Let's go with toughness. Uh, there is, I think there is a bit of judgment um, coming from the show because um, there's a really funny line that um, Peggy says um, when she when they're talking about how, you know, Pete could have not said anything and um, Freddie would become a legend in this, in the way that you know, <laughs> in the way that um, uh, people say things like "Remember the guy who wet his pants before the big meeting," and that's uh, obviously no no person has ever been considered a legend because they wet their pants before every meeting. Having said all that, I think the coolest thing about this scene for me is well, it it relates back to um, Peggy getting the promotion. Because uh, when, when Peggy's getting the promotion, Don says to her, don't feel bad at being good at what you do. Um, which seems kind of like self-explanatory. But then later on, when um, when they're having their little argument, um, Pete says to, um, just as he's, just after he said to, to Peggy, um, if it wasn't for me, you'd be a junior copywriter. He then goes on to say, I refuse to feel bad and um to me that you know that can be ended with for being good at what i do and it kind of got me thinking that what pete is actually good at is you know what what the reason everyone the reason them two are getting promoted and getting more money is because he's a total p 
piece of shit <laughs> and uh and a douchebag and you know and a total amoral kind of person who doesn't care about anybody else and just thinks for you know does what he wants and doesn't really care about anyone else which is like the direct opposite to what Peggy is which is kind of interesting when you think about the idea of feminine and masculine sides and how the two of them kind of work together and how they kind of need each other it's really annoying that um Helen isn't here to hear me say all this stuff <laughs> she hates it when I'm right um but yeah I, I love that I love that I love the way that they tie the whole thing up with um with Peggy and Pete but like I said Pete is in control he's the guy that made all this happen he's the one that's kind of he's he's the the dominant force in out of the two of them and um and we see how this affects Peggy well we see how things will be going will be for Peggy going forward in the in the next scene that we see Peggy in it's a really short scene and I didn't I didn't catch it the first time I saw it I just I, I don't even know if I re- remembered seeing the scene um but basically it uh involves this thing called the Indian Point Amusement Center um which I'd never heard of apparently it was replaced by a nuclear power plant so basically kinsey is basically talking about replacing um <laughs> replacing uh playgrounds or amusement parks with power plants and peggy's kind of like uh yeah let's just do that because there's nothing she can't fight it she can't say anything about it she just has to take the job and then and appreciate that she's got a job and that's it really She's got to be pretty cold-blooded about it. Interesting point. Turtles are cold-blooded. You see what they did there? (laughs) To be fair, I don't think they're saying that um, Peggy's cold-blooded naturally. I think the point is Peggy has no choice but to be cold-blooded. And it's kind of like when Don was talking about the, the, you know, quote-unquote coloured boy who who's just got the job at bbdo he's going to be emasculated basically because he won't be able to make any decisions he won't be able to do anything he'll be surrounded by this culture this kind of you know these rules that he doesn't really understand he's not really a part of and you know same with peggy she's kind of got this token job and it's nice to have a job i guess but she doesn't really she can't really say anything it's like it's um freddie all over again isn't it it's like she's been given this job and she'll just take the job and accept it but she can't really affect change she can't really do anything about it she's just she's almost like a token sort of figurehead person i think the show is saying that that's how marilyn monroe felt just like a figurehead like a someone who had no real control despite the fact that you know she had all this power or she had all this fame and another person who has all that stuff is obviously don and it's interesting that he he's lying down again and he gets woken up um the, the fact that people get there's like five people that get woken up in this show so and the and i think there's the there's the five sort of main characters in the episode uh, but there's an, also another person who obviously who's peggy who doesn't get woken up in fact if anything she goes to sleep um and it was interesting i was trying to work out what the title means other than 
um, six month leave, which is kind of like a break, you know, taking a break and sort of like all that entails. But to me, the the idea of a, a six, there's like the six characters here, and I think that the actual title of the episode is six month leave, uh, as in six month singular uh, leave, and um, I was kind of, I think it might be a pun on the term six must leave. I don't know. But that's just me. Anyway, anyway, back to Don. Uh, so Don wakes up. He gets woke, woken up by um, by by Mona, and Mona's really angry. And despite the fact that there's a lot of references to speech in this final scene, um, what really stands out to me is the fact that we get a reference to Roger's feminine side through um, Mona talking about Margaret. That relates to the, the the feminine sides of Freddie and um and Don and how you know when they talk about Don's daughter uh, folding him him it could really be his feminine side they're talking about and when um Freddie talks about his daughter it's kind of like could be his feminine side they're talking about you know and it is their daughters as well um as the show kind of obviously works on many different levels and i think the the final point of the the episode uh takes things back to this idea of ego uh, mainly because the way um jane's crying uh reminds me of the episode ladies room which was all about ego and obviously don's ego is completely destroyed as he learns that he's pretty much being used by everyone and he has no power whatsoever. Well, he doesn't have as much power as he thinks he did. Um, yeah. And after all of the, all his enthusiasm at the beginning of the episode, he's now in the place where um, Betty was at the beginning of the episode. Only Betty's moved on. And Betty feels so much better after destroying people's lives. <laughs> um, anyway, that's me and my little solo breakdown of the episode hopefully next week or next time we have the episode next time we put an episode out it won't just be me it'll be helen as well and it won't be as boring as it just has been um i don't want to say the catchphrase today i'm just gonna say i will talk to you next time and don't forget everyone keep watching mad men because it's really good (laughs) bye everyone Thank you.